Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for the second of two podcasts is Dr. Amy Jordan, director of the Media and Developing Child Sector of the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania. She's done extensive work on children in the media uh, and has worked on a number of media campaigns, particularly working with Philadelphia at the moment on campaigns to reduce sugary beverages in children. Um, Dr. Jordan is currently co-editor of the Journal of Children and Media, and this will be the topic that we're going to talk about today. So Amy, I'm glad to have you here. Thank you. Well, let's talk first about how much exposure to media the modern child has. I know there's a lot of talk in the media of how much media exposure there is, and Mm -hmm. you hear these numbers of how many hours a day, but what, what does the picture really look like? Well, I want to start by um, qualifying the numbers that I'm about to give you because it, it's getting harder and harder as a researcher to get an accurate picture of how much time children are spending with media. Because if you ask a teenager how many hours a day he or she watches television, the way I define television and the way they define television viewing are often two different things because, of course, so much media consumption occurs in handheld devices. And so much media consumption is happening simultaneously. Media multitasking is a phenomenon that's, um, that's quite prevalent among um, what we call digital natives, people who have grown up with digital media. So I'm pre- pretty sure I know what you mean by this multitasking business, but yeah, explain it just a bit. Sure. It's, uh, it's watching television and at the same time surfing the web, possibly at the same time uh, texting with your friend. And so, so therefore, when you ask about time, um, it's a little difficult to, to separate out how much time children are spending in multitasking versus doing, doing, uh, using one medium after another. So here are some numbers. The average child spends about seven hours a day using some form of media. And um, these would include video games and uh, watching television, using the computer, uh, using a handheld device like a cell phone. And uh, it has, for the last 15 or 20 years, been um, the activity that takes up more time in a child's life than anything besides school and sleep. And, and so as, a, as someone who studies communication, I've been concerned not only about how so much time spent with media might affect children's academic success and their social development, but more recently have been concerned about how it might be affecting their physical well-being. So we've been trying to understand how time spent with media and time spent with certain kinds of media products, specifically those that advertise heavily in the realms of um, uh, foods and beverages, how that affects their weight status. And uh, we've seen since the 80s that there has been a relationship between heavy media use, um, which in terms of weight status is typically defined as four or more hours spent looking at a screen per day, um, and and, you know, uh, weight status. Uh, which for children is um, overweight as being at or above the 85th percentile and obese is at or above the 95th percentile, and, and trying to understand how we might uh, create a media environment that's more healthful for children. So let me go back to accounting issue. When, you're, when you say the average child has seven hours of media exposure, 
if a child is sitting there doing three different forms of media mm-hmm. at the same time, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that doesn't get counted as three no. three periods. So it, it so doesn't. What you're saying is that every child spends seven hours a day with at least one form of media and sometimes multiple forms. That's correct. That's correct. About 20% of the time, children are uh, multitasking with media, so they're using multiple media. And you may say, well, how, how do they have that many hours a day <laughs> in order to devote to um, watching television or playing video games or surfing the web? And um, one of the concerns that we've that we've identified lately is that um, media use is extending well into the nighttime hours. So some of our our new uh, projects are looking at how adolescents' nighttime media use is interfering with their um, both the length and the quality of their sleep, and that has very real implications, um, n- not just for how well they do in school, but we're seeing more and more studies that connect uh, shortened and interrupted sleep with um, weight status, with being overweight, and and it. There are lots of reasons for this. It could be that children are tired then during the day and they drink more sugary beverages or eat more to try to have a pick-me-up or they're so tired they can't be physically active. Um, It could just also be um, interfering with uh, metabolism. But I think these are the kinds of things that we never thought about 10 years ago. You know, we, we didn't want children to have television sets in their bedrooms, but it didn't even occur to us that the cell phone could be going off all night long and just dis- disrupting the child who's um, needing to sleep. So there have been speculation about what uh, underlies this association between media consumption and, and body weight mm-hmm. and diet. Tell, sleep me, is tell, me, tell me what the thinking is about right. this now. And so sleep interference is one. Uh, certainly another is exposure to food marketing and beverage marketing. And we have uh, seen very convincing research that um, children who are exposed to these kinds of ads are more likely to see these products as desirable, are more likely to request them, and are more likely to choose them if um, and in- encourage their parents to buy them. So... Um, that I think that is certainly convincing evidence. There was even a, a clever study that was done that showed that children who are um, watching their television programs on DVDs or on PBS and are not exposed to the food and beverage advertising, um, even though they spend the same amount of time looking at the screen, are less likely to be overweight. So I think that um, those sorts of studies are needed to separate out, is it being sedentary or is it being exposed to the food and beverage ads? Well, it sounds like from that one study you suggested that that maybe the food and beverage ads are maybe not their maybe not the whole impact, but certainly having a negative impact. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think that's a very intriguing study with an intriguing set of findings. Okay. Um, and it sounds like the trend lines on this are probably not very positive, given that there are so many forms of digital media that kids can be exposed to these days, and how engaging it is. Right. We see that uh, food and beverage marketing has really seeped into every corner of children's lives. So it's not just the advertisements that appear on children's television shows. Um, it's also the pop-ups that appear on the websites that children like to visit. It's the in-school food marketing. It's what's appear- what can, could possibly appear on um, the sides of school buses. It's really uh, part of the culture of um, of childhood today. The 
um, assault of messages about what to eat and what to drink and what constitutes a good snack and when you're thirsty, what you should drink. And I, I and I, um, I do think that it's been successful at changing norms about um, how children consume food, certainly what relationship children have to food. And, and it's not um, in, in our work at Annenberg, part of what we're uh, thinking about is that the constant barrage of food and beverage advertising doesn't just lead to overweight and obesity, which is a serious problem, and I don't mean to say just, but it also is implicated in eating disorders because as children grow and develop, they their bodies naturally go through uh, a, a period where um, they're changing and adolescents naturally become quite um, sensitive to how they're perceived by other people. And, and yet what's kind of thrown at them in the media is unhealthful foods. And it kind of starts this cycle of body dysmorphia and uh, overeating and then undereating. And, and it just, um, for a lifetime, I think, it can really interfere with a healthy relationship that, um, that human beings should have with food. So a conversation like this, that shows that there's tremendous exposure to this series of negative influences obviously leads to the question about what do we do about it. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to get back to that in a minute. But you brought up adolescents being vulnerable to body image-related issues. When people talk about the food marketing directed at kids, usually they're, they're thinking about younger children. But adolescents become a special group of people that we might be wanting to be concerned about mm -hmm. in that context. What do you think about teenagers there? I think it's um, very important to, to think about what adolescents and, um, and we call them tweens. I would say children as young as eight um, have a lot of autonomy over what they, what they eat. And in fact, when you look at children and adolescents' spending patterns, the number one product that they spend their money on is food. And beverage. And we believe that um, although we could make the argument that they understand the difference between an ad and, you know, other kind of content and they, they get the notion of persuasive intent and that they're potentially being manipulated, they're still quite vulnerable, not really thinking about the long-term uh, consequences of their choices. And um, I think that's an age that really represents an opportunity to create healthy habits that um, possibly could last through adulthood, this, this period from about 8 to 10. I think most of us are, are um, persuaded by the evidence that developmentally very young children can't understand persuasive intent. I mean, Piaget taught us the difficulty that egocentric children have in understanding what another person is thinking. By about the age of eight, they get it. But you know, I get it too, you get it as adults. Uh, we're still persuaded, we're still affected by advertising. Um, so I think that um, saying that there's only one class of children that need protection is, it, and that class being very young children, is, um, is unfair to the children who are developing dietary habits that, that are really gonna set them up for life. So it sounds like from what you're saying in my knowledge of the field as well that there's certainly an abundant evidence that the marketing is having a negative influence. Kids are, vast numbers of kids are being exposed in ever more um, creative ways by the industry. 
what do you do about it? Well, um, I think many people would say uh, education and media literacy is, um, is one approach. So helping children understand uh, that they're being manipulated and how they're being manipulated uh, could be an approach. I haven't seen a lot of evidence that it works, though. We did have a doctoral student at Annenberg who, who did a kind of media literacy education effort around food marketing, and uh, it wasn't effective. Um, so I, I think we need to be careful in treating that as a panacea because I don't think it's, it's necessarily going to be, be the result. Now, let me ask a question mm-hmm. about that. There's this interesting fundamental concept that I've thought about in the context of this media literacy idea. And the basic premise of this is that kids are exposed to some very negative, even toxic influences. So should we, we should teach them skills and, and knowledge, give them knowledge in order to resist the negative influences. And one can make an argument that it's like drinking water, that we could allow polluted drinking water and teach people water literacy and have them put you know pills in their water or boil it or do whatever they needed to do to sanitize it. But we don't take that approach as a country. We just think people deserve safe drinking water. I wonder if we'll ever get to the point where we view these influences as so negative that we need to get rid of them rather than just teach people skills to resist them. Mm -hmm. And there's the issue about whether we even have the technology of doing that, whether these programs are effective. But even if they were effective, who in the world would pay for enough of it to have it uh, counteract what the industry is doing? I wonder what your thoughts are on The way I've been thinking about um, the most effective way to convey information or persuade people that there are certain kinds of products that are are really detrimental to health is by having adolescents themselves create the messages. Um, I sometimes think about uh, seatbelt norms and how there was this um, strong education campaign that was disseminated often through the schools, about the the need to use a seatbelt because it was a law and because it saved lives, and the generation of children who taught their parents that you had to put your seatbelt on when you get in the car. And I'm thinking that we we have an opportunity with this generation to uh, shift their thinking about um, what's okay and not okay to Put in your body to live a healthful life, just like you need to put on a seatbelt to protect yourself from a, a crash, and how um, they can then adopt that as a norm and kind of pass it on to their children. And I do think that um, changing norms, teenagers themselves changing their own norms about what's cool to drink or what's not cool to eat, is... Um, is really the way to go, and it's much more effective than adults wagging their fingers and saying, you shouldn't eat that. It's, um, I had this experience when I was walking uh, down the streets of Philadelphia. I was, um, I, it was near the Penn campus, which is uh, within the community of West Philadelphia, and there were two teenagers who were kind of walking down the sidewalk next to me, and the teenage boy said to the girl, oh, I, I want to go in CVS. I want to I get a Coke. And um, the girl said to the boy, oh, you don't want to drink that stuff. It's nasty. Mm, it's interesting and, that those norms are changing. To see that, I think, was really heartening. Good. 
Well, that's a nice note to end on. So I appreciate you joining us for this discussion. Thanks for coming. Thank you for having me. Our guest is Dr. Amy Jordan, Director of the Media and Developing Child Sector of the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania. Please see our website, www.yalerudcenter.org, for a variety of resources and the list of other excellent podcasts that we've recorded with visitors to the Rudd Center. Thank you.